This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, as we uh, close this uh, the seminar up, we ask that you would be with us one more time and that through uh, the experience and the history of uh, GYC, you would give us a glimpse of, of leadership that is dependent not on man but on, on God and that you would inspire us to attempt greater things for you than we have up to this point in our experience. This we pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. What I wanted to do is <clears throat> share with you a little bit of the history of GYC. Uh, I, was, uh, I was in the audience and I, and I heard the question being asked, how many of you uh, are experiencing GYC for the first time? And I saw that the majority of the hands went up. And uh, I realized that I'm becoming more and more uh, the minority as far as the group of people that have attended every single GYC. And I mean, there's, is there anyone here that has attended more than five GYCs? One person. So there's two of us. We're two of us. All right. Yeah, we're still friends. You're not going to hold it against us? We're not going to hold it against you. All right. All right. So, um, so what I wanted to do was to talk a little bit about the history of GYC and uh, from, from, um, from my perspective, and then from that, draw out lessons that I've learned along the way in, in, in regard to, uh, to leadership. It's an interesting thing and it's a challenging thing to talk about leadership because it automatically assumes in some way, shape, or form that you view yourself as a leader. And uh, to even begin to think of that is, has always been a challenging thing uh, for me. And so that's what I want um, sh- to share with you, my experience. I hope that for the people that have been able to attend the previous uh, workshops, I hope it's been... a, a a helpful, uh, a helpful thing for you to be able to see the display of a variety of leaders. That was what my goal was, to display a variety of leadership, uh, um, people in leadership, and I hope that uh, this will kind of be the last thing that ties it all together. GYC started off when I was, uh, um, the, or I should say the, the building blocks of GYC started off when I was uh, a sophomore or junior in high school, a junior in high school, 15, 16, 17 years old. Uh, I was in a consumer math course, which was a, basically a high school level personal finance class. And uh, we were sitting in class, and the teacher had us do a project in which we had to uh, balance a fake checkbook. It was like playing a more, sophi- a more sophisticated version of the game of life. Everyone know what the game of life is? And so the teacher would come around, and he'd have a hat, and you'd draw from a hat different papers, and the paper would say, all right, you need to pay $50 in gas, you need to pay this, you need to do that. The friend of mine that was sitting next to me, his name was Joe Cho, is the first time, by the way, that I've seen him here in over 10, 15 years. And, uh, and we were sitting next to each other, and, he, and, and part of the thing that we had to do for our personal finance class was to pay tithe and offerings and to make tax-deductible donations because we were going to get taxed at the, end of the, at the end of the class or at the end of the school year or whatever. And so he looked at me, he knew I wanted to be a pastor, and so he said, hey, I'm going to give you my donation so that I can get a tax-deductible receipt. And I said, this is a great idea. <laughs> and so he said, I can't write out a fake check to Israel Ramos. And uh, so he invented what he called the IR Mission Foundation. It started off as a joke, 
And that's how it continued for the rest of my entire high school career. Uh, somehow, I don't know what happened, but it just caught it just caught wind. People started talking about the Iron Man, probably because we 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 play fought a lot about who he was and who I was, and it, it was just a complicated story. But it just caught on. It caught on to such a weird degree that I started um, that I started. I made up a logo for the IR Mission Foundation, and the I was a, a little figure man uh, with his hands in the air holding a Bible. And, uh, and I would just write the IR Mission Foundation and go back to my academy, and to this very day, we did a lot of uh, graffiti. To this very day, you can see cemented there on the school block the IR Mission Foundation. Long story short, uh, my friend uh, in consumer math class abandoned me and, and he uh, sued me for embezzlement and so forth. And that was the end of my two-year IR Mission Foundation uh, experience. Fast forward that to college, went on a mission trip <clears throat> to the Philippines. And I experienced some of the most life-transforming uh, experiences in my entire life. Uh, I was 18 years old and... Uh, when we uh, when we arrived there, and it was I was there on a three month journey. And when we arrived there, the conference president met us in a small village called Magalion, and he said, uh, "I'm going to drop you off in this village, and you're going to do uh, mission work for three months." And that was pretty much the extent of the information that we got. We weren't trained to be there. That's just, hey, how's it going? Thank you for being here for three months. Let me introduce you to the head elder of the church. And so we met Brother Fidel. I don't think he knew what to do. We didn't know what to do, so he took us to the um, he took us to a church member's house. I don't remember the lady's name, but she and I don't remember why she told us why she confided in us this information. But she said that she'd been sick for some time with asthma, and she asked if we could help her. I was 18 years old. My friend was maybe 19, 20 max. We thought, what in the world are we going to do to help her out? And why does what, what makes her think that we know anything about medicine or about asthma even, right? And uh, I don't know why we said yes or how we said yes, but we found ourselves, if you fast forward the story, find our, we found our house ourselves in her home with a little book that someone had given to us before we left that had a picture from the 1970s, and it said the title was Home Remedies. And uh, we opened the book up, and uh, we didn't know what to do, so we just came across a chapter uh, um, Hot and cold compresses. And so that's what we did. We just did hot and cold compress on her. We got like some boiling hot water and some lukewarm water that they considered cold. And we just dipped it in there and put it on there. And I mean, we just followed the instructions. Someone also gave us a little bottle of eucalyptus oil. And uh, one time I put it in my mouth and, and I started coughing. Uh, you should try that. Some Inhale it. It's good for you. And uh, so just for an extra kick, we sprayed it in her mouth, and she started coughing, and it was just for, like, effect, make her think she was being healed, and then we left. The next day, we're walking down the street, and uh, she comes to us, and she says, I've been healed from my asthma. And so I'm thinking to myself, nobody say anything, you know, and I'm thinking either either she did not have asthma or she's not healed, but don't ruin the surprise, right? And so we say, hey, you know, praise God. And uh, we left. And we never thought anything of it, but this lady went throughout the whole village telling people that two American doctors were in town. <laughs> and for the rest of our three months, 
most of the day from, from sunrise to sunset, almost every single day, our schedule was just packed with visit, visitation after visitation after visitation, either giving Bible studies or treating medical illnesses. It got so bad that doctors from neighboring towns came and they said, hey, can we shadow you guys? And we're like, look, we're not doctors. And people were like, no, they're just being humble. We're like, no, we're not being humble. We're not doctors. I just graduated from high school a couple of months ago. I don't even know what I'm doing. We got this home remedy book. You can look at it too. I promise you. And we were afraid we were going to get killed. During those three months, I can't tell you all the stories because there's too many and they are way too powerful to just go over very quickly. But during that three-month time period, I'm sure we saw more than 100 people that had some type of illness. And out of all those people that I can remember to this day, all except one were completely healed of incredible illnesses that we did not even know how to detect. Came back from the Philippines, and what started off as the IR Mission Foundation, something like, hey, this is rah-rah, we're a missionary and, you know, non-existent ministry, I began, to be, I began to dream about the possibility of God being able to use me for something bigger than I expected or that I could even dream of for myself. Obviously, no one's ever going to join the IR Mission Foundation because it's named after me and I'm not dead. And so we changed it to Youth with a Mission. We were an army of young people on a mission to save the world or something. I forgot what the byline was. And it was just my friend, myself, went to California, and I found one of our towels from when we were the mission tri- in, on the mission trip, and I drew the little man just, you know, to brand it. And I realized something very, very valuable. As a result of that, the GYC logo, you look at the man now, that's where the man came from. I realized something very significant about leadership, and that is this, that leadership is never, I'm talking about biblical leadership, in in God's definition of leadership. Leadership is never based on talent, but it is always something that is completely God-given. In other words, it wasn't because I had anything any background in medicine that I went to the Philippines and performed more miracles than doctors will perform in their entire careers. It wasn't because I had an extraordinary mind or it wasn't because I even had any special talents that God allowed me to experience what I experienced in in the Philippines. It was simply because God felt like helping me out in that type of a situation. And and he felt like helping me out because that's that's who he is. And so when it comes to leadership and what we believe leadership to be, we must always understand that leadership is not something that you can develop because of talents that you have, but it is something that is completely and totally 100% God-given if you're, looking at, if you're looking at leadership from the perspective of God. Came back from the Philippines. That was in 1999. And after that, I went, uh, I, I, I went to New York, and I canvassed for like the fifth or sixth uh, time in my, in my high school, college career. While I was canvassing in New York, I received a phone call to join uh, the campus missionary training program. You see, our church is very good at sending missionaries to all, all different parts of the world, but did you know that 
the public universities that are in your backyards, in the cities that you live in, some of you, are actual mission fields where the mission field comes to your backyard. And when I came to the realization that most of our Adventist young people are attending non-Adventist universities, I really came to a realization that this is a mission field that requires special attention and is very neglected. And so I went to uh, the University of Michigan to serve as a missionary for the first for the inaugural campus missionary training program. I was there for a year, and in that year, I met uh, a group of people that visited us from Boston to do a special event. One of the guys that visited, his name is Justin Kim. Justin was a student at Brandeis University, and when he took his hat off, his hair became like Albert Einstein, just all over the place, and it was gray, so he looked a little older. I thought he was 30. He thought I was 30. We were actually the same age. We were about 18 or 19. We made a brief contact, and then after that, we just, we never, like, we never saw each other again, you know. He started this thing called the Fig List, and, uh, and, and I subscribed to it, and it was basically uh, like, a, like a, a listserv that people could write articles on and read n- news from, and that's how we kept in touch, and he was, uh, he, w- he was the editor of that. I moved back to California, and I was attending a local college there, and it was, it, it, and I still remember clearly, uh, what was going on in my mind. It was, it was a night in December, and I couldn't sleep. And so I got up, and I was like, man, I wonder why I can't sleep. And, and, and as I was trying to wrestle with whatever I was going through, I, I started calling some friends. But it was midnight California time, so in the East Coast, my East Coast friends, I was calling them at 3 in the morning. It wasn't a very good scenario because, you know, you're waking these people up. No one wants to talk to you. And so uh, at the end of everything, I just sat there in my room by myself with my computer thinking like, what is keeping me up? What is, what is bothering me so much? Why is it that I have this desire to talk to so many people? And I came to the realization that I, I had a burning desire to do something for God. I had a burning desire to do something for God. And you know what the thing is? I never knew what I wanted to do for Him. I just had a burning desire to do something for God. What ended up happening after that is closed my computer down, went downstairs, uh, connected the internet, uh, connected the internet, it was dial-up then, connected the internet to my computer, and uh, I got online. I saw my friend Justin on there, and it was, uh, this is, I mean, I I don't even know if I can even use this language, because you guys are so much younger now. This was AOL Instant Messenger. Does anyone use AOL Instant Messenger? You guys at least know what I'm talking about. All right, good. All right, you're good. Well, you're a little old for being in this seminar, but, you know. So, I, I, I get on AOL Instant Messenger, you know, the thing's going crazy, and then I see him on there, but it's yellow, you know, it's, he's inactive. And so I sent him a text, or whatever you call it, uh, chat, I am, yeah. And, uh, and I ask him if he's there. I'm like, Justin, are you there? Are you there? He finally responds, and then we begin to chat. And I said, dude, I have this idea. He tells me about his idea. We talk on the phone, and then before you know it, we begin to develop a, 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 a program for uh, bringing young people together. Why did we start that? We started because uh, people that were attending public universities did not have Bible classes. 
and they wanted, they had a deep desire to want to know more about uh, the Bible. And they said, man, you guys that go to Adventist schools, you, got, you have it so awesome because you guys get to study the Bible all the time and you guys have God as the foundation of your educational system. What about if we had like, like winter school instead of summer school where we could come and, and, and get some hardcore Bible study? And that's how it kind of got started. And so we sat down together. We thought to ourselves, hey, let's call the, the craziest people that we know that are like crazy and let's bring them together and form a team and develop a conference that will be crazy and so that's what we did we called people up the people that we knew and we developed a leadership team and we said we're going to have a conference right in the middle of christmas break so that we weed out the people that are jokers and we're going to have like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting from five in the morning all the way till 10 o'clock at night and let's see who can survive that so that's what we did, and we held the conference in Pine Springs Ranch because uh, Southern California is where I was from, and um, we sat down together. We said, hey, let's count our friends, and let's see how many people we can realistically invite. Among the group of, I think, seven or ten of us, I forgot how many there were, we thought for sure we can probably bring about 200 people. So we made plans. We're going to like go and get 200 people, and we started making phone calls. Hey, will you come? Will you come? Will you come? When we opened up registration within the very first week, we were already beyond 200. And then as we started looking at the Internet numbers by the day now, it was just increasing like right before our eyes until finally I got on the phone to call our treasurer, and I said, can we hold any more people in this place? We were already beyond 400 people. We maxed out the entire conference, and then people still came on Sabbath. It was like standing room only. It was the most ridiculous thing I could ever imagine. And I realized at that point something significant, and that is that God places a burden not just on an individual heart, but he places it on the hearts of many. And so lesson number two was this. That leadership development is a result of being faithful to God's will and not the addition of talents. In other words, we think that in order for us to develop ourselves as leaders, I need to learn more, right? Like, hey, if I want to be a more effective leader as a pastor, maybe if I'm bilingual, then I'll be a better pastor because I'll have more flexibility. I can pastor English churches and Spanish churches. But leadership development contrary to John Maxwell, is not the addition of talents. I don't become a better leader by knowing more things, or I don't become a better leader by adding something else to my resume. I actually become a better leader by constantly following the will of God for me. And what I realized was that preparation for developing GYC was actually simply only a result of following God's leading to go into the mission field following God's leading to go into the canvassing field, following God's leading to go into an Adventist school, while at the same time, that experience, someone else was following in a very, very different context, following God's will in going to a public university, following God's will in going to the seminary, following God's will in being a leader in your local context. And God brought all of that together to develop leadership. And so leadership is not the result, or, the, or leadership development is not the addition of talent as much as simply the result of following the will of God consistently, 
constantly and 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 totally. <clears throat> Lesson number three is this: becoming a leader happens when you respond to a burden to change something for the better. You think, who is a leader? A leader is a pastor, a leader is a teacher, a leader is a president, a leader is... We have these ideas of who a leader is. And then we ask ourselves, am I a leader? Can I be a leader? How do I become a leader? You simply become a leader the moment that you respond to a burden that God has placed in your life. If you have a burden to change your Sabbath school class, as soon as you respond to that burden, you've become a leader. If you have a burden to change the youth program in your church, you become a youth leader the moment that you respond to that burden. Leadership is simply a response to a burden that God has placed on your heart. And when we had a burden, when we had a burden, to impact the youth movement of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, not for anyone else, but for ourselves. When we had the burden to do that, that is when all of us, a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds that were still in college, became professional youth leaders. We weren't paid. We weren't paid by the church. But nevertheless, I believe that we were youth leaders. And so... I want to tell you today that you become a leader. If you're wondering whether you're a leader or not, ask yourself the very simple question. Am I responding to a burden that God has placed in me, that God has placed in my life? You want to be a leader in your family? Do you look at your family situation and you see, man, my family needs to become more godly? Man, there's challenges in my family that I, that I need to bring together, I need to solve. You have just at that moment become a leader in your family. You've just at that moment become a leader in your classroom. You've become a leader with your colleagues. You've become a leader in your church the moment you respond to the burden that God has placed in your heart. <clears throat> what happened after that? Pine Springs Ranch. 500 people came. We concluded the conference. We said to ourselves, man, you know what? We lacked faith. You know, like we thought 200 people, I mean, don't you know... We need to be more faithful. And so we got together again and we said, you know what we need to do? We need to be more crazy, more radical. And so we said, we need to double the people that came and we need to aim for that. That'll be something that is very difficult to attain. And so, let's say, let, so we said, instead of, inst- instead of aiming for 400 people, let's aim for 800. A lot of people. We went back to Michigan, Ann Arbor. And I remember we went to the Sheraton, right, 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 uh, oh, we're at the Sheraton here, aren't we? We went to the Sheraton over there, and we, these uh, 20, 20-some-year-old guys walked to the hotel, and we said, can we speak to the general manager? And they said, sure, what's wrong? And said, well, we want to book the hotel to hold a conference here with 800 people. We sat down for a little bit while the manager came, then we went to his office, and he gave us a contract. And he said, uh, you're more than welcome to come here. It's going to cost you $200,000. I mean, I'd never even, I, I, I had never even imagined how $200,000 looked like visually, you know? And uh, we thought to ourselves, how in the world, if we sign this paper, this is not like the church one, because the first one was in Pine Springs Ranch. We, you figure, like, if you can't come up with the fifty grand for Pine Springs Ranch, I mean, the fact that they're Seventh-day Adventists, they can't sue you, you know? So you're thinking, like, hey... <laughs> 
you know, at least you got that. But this one, they're like, they'll sue you, they'll put you in jail, they'll strip you naked. I mean, they'll take away your family. Who knows what they'll do? $200,000, that's how much it costs us. We started praying. After we signed the contract, we're like, God, please do something. I don't even know how word went out. Word went out. At the end of the day, we ended up having 1,800 people. We said, man, we need to have more faith. You know, we need to have more faith. So we planned the next conference. And we said, let's double that. And it doubled. And then it doubled again. And it continued to grow more and more and more. And the impact of it began to reach not only the U.S., but it began to reach around the world. And now, what you see today is simply the result of young people that never had a desire to be leaders, but simply responded to a burden on their heart. To recap, leadership is never based on talent. If it was, all of us would be disqualified. By the way, if it was, even our best church leaders would be disqualified because no matter how talented you are, you can never be talented enough to do something for God. He is infinite. We are finite. Leadership is never based on talent, but it is always given. Why is it given? It's given because of who we are, not because of what we do. We don't become leaders. God does not make us leader. he does, leaders. He doesn't give us the ability to be leaders because of anything that we are. But he does it simply because of what he wants to accomplish in my life and in your life. Secondly, leadership development results in faithfulness to God's will, not in addition to talents. And thirdly, becoming a leader is when we respond to a burden to change for the better. Those are simply the three things that I have when it comes to leadership. If you were to ask me to give you all that I know about leadership, it would be summed up basically in these three things. You become a leader not because of the talent that you possess, but simply because of following the will of God and being where He wants you to be. You develop as a leader not because of the talents that you increase, but simply because you faithfully respond to the will of God, and all of that response is preparing you for something greater than you cannot even expect. And thirdly, at the end of the day, thirdly, you become a leader not when you are given a position, but as soon as you respond to the burden that God has placed in your heart. And so my question for you is this, do you have a burden in your heart? If you have no burden, you cannot be a leader. It's impossible. You will never be the leader that God designed you to be. Do you have a burden in your heart? Is there something that troubles you, something that keeps you up at night, something that you cannot get out of your mind, something that prevents you from eating and sleeping? If you do, that is because God is calling you to be a leader. And the moment you respond is the moment that you become a leader. I have promises now that I want to share with you that have been instrumental in my, in my development in leadership. <clears throat> Promise number one is found in the book Education. And this is what it says in page 16. The law of love calls for the devotion of body, mind, and soul to the service of God and our fellow men. And this service, while making us a blessing to others, brings the greatest blessing to ourselves. This is the point right here. You cannot miss this. This is the most revolutionary sentence you will hear in your entire life. Unselfishness underlies all true development. Did you catch that? Unselfishness underlies all true development. Through unselfish service, 
we receive the highest culture of every faculty. More and more fully do we become partakers of the divine nature. We are fitted for heaven, for we receive heaven into our hearts. <clears throat> Unselfishness underlies true development. That is a fact as well as a promise. When I was uh, living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, my wife and I got married in 2004. We lived right, not right by, we lived about 20, 30 minutes away from the Detroit International Airport. It was great whenever we had to travel because it was just a very short drive. I come from California, had to fly out of LAX, I hated it. So Detroit was beautiful. The problem with that was that almost every month we would get a call from someone saying, Israel, I'm flying out of Detroit. Can you drive me to the airport? By nature, I'm going to tell you, I'm a very selfish individual. There's one thing in life that I love more than anything else, and that's called sleep. You thought I was going to say something else. I love to sleep. And I say, sure, yeah, what time do you want? My flight leaves at 6 in the morning. It's international. I've got to be there at 4. Can you take me there at 3? Yeah, that's what you're tempted to say. And I remember one time when I woke up at 3 in the morning and my hair's not cold, my breath is still stinking because I didn't brush my teeth yet, and I'm driving this individual that I call my friend <laughs> to the airport. And you know, what, you know what, what hits me? This thought hits me. I would never wake up this early for anything else. Like, I would not wake... You can, if I'm failing school, you will not wake me up at 3 in the morning to study. You will not. I don't care if, like, my life depends on that exam. You just will not do it. And I realize that development, unselfishness, is the foundation to development. There are certain things that you will do for others that you will never do for yourself. Isn't that right? What will not wake me up at 3 in the morning to develop myself personally will wake me up to take my friend to the stinking airport at 3 in the morning. That's the way God designed us to be. Birds wake up in the morning and they sing. They don't sing for themselves. They sing for you and for me. That's unselfishness. Trees produce oxygen not for themselves but for you and for me. That's unselfishness. The law of the universe, the law of nature, the law of God is a law of unselfishness. And that law, if it is, if it is observed, cherished, treasured, and practiced by individuals like you and me, leaders will develop us into being people that we could never otherwise be. So at that very foundation, unselfishness underlies all true development, we find this. Leadership, leadership and competition cannot coexist. It is impossible for leadership and for competition to exist one with the other. You cannot be a leader while you are trying to compete with another leader for a certain position, for a certain uh, uh, a viewpoint, or to accomplish a certain task. Leadership cannot coexist with competition. You cannot lead someone that you are trying to be better than. And all the modern, uh, all the modern philosophies of leadership are basically that. Use people in such a way where you develop them enough for them to make you someone better, but at the same time maintain them in an inferior position. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way leadership develops today? Make the people around you good so that you can actually be better. But in true leadership, the principle of education, unselfishness, underlies all true development. Competition cannot exist, and therefore, 
development becomes a result of you comparing yourself with the image of God and growing closer and closer into that image. And so, promise number one is unselfishness underlies all true development. Number two, he who loves Christ the most, I shared this with us uh, opening night, he who loves Christ the most will do the greatest amount of good. There is no limit to the usefulness. Did you catch that? There is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. The second point is this. The second promise is this. That there is no limit to the usefulness of one who places their self aside and allows the Spirit of God to work within them. Ask yourself this. What would you do, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? If I knew that I could not fail, what I would do is probably quit my job and go and open up some type of taco truck or a restaurant all day. That's probably what I would do. But I stop and I think like, man, you know, you know how much it costs to run a business and I'm not really that good of a cook and then like I'm banking everything on that skill and... You start thinking like, man, there's a lot of things I, w- I will not attempt because I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. And there's a lot of things in your mind that I know for a fact you will not attempt because you are afraid to fail. And that's good. Fear of failure is good. But it is not good when it is relating to the work of God. And here the promise is this, that he who loves Christ the most, that's the condition, the person that loves Christ the most will do the greatest amount of good. The good that you are doing today is measured and measurable by the amount of love that you have for God. And so today, if you're not succeeding in life, if you're not doing, and i, I and I got to qualify success by doing the things that God has called you to do, doing things that make God look better than yourself, doing things that make God famous, doing things that prove to others the character of God is love. If you are not doing the greatest amount of good is because there is something in your life, if I'm not doing this, it's something in my heart, that is still... Not holding, that is still holding back from the love that we have for God. He who loves God the most will do the greatest amount of good. There is no limit to the usefulness of one who by putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. That's where it stops. But then it continues on with something else. Why is it that people do not experience success? She continues on here. If men and women will endure necessary discipline without complaining or fainting by the way, Here's the promise. God will teach them hour by hour and day by day. Do you catch the power of that promise? I would, tell, I would dare say and put money on this idea that there are people here today that would jump at the opportunity, no matter who you are, that would jump at the opportunity, no matter what party line you hold, would jump at the opportunity to work under the President of the United States. People in this room that would, that would love the opportunity to work under someone like Bill Gates because of the leadership that these people have to offer. The promise that we have here is that you're not going to get trained or taught by some leadership guru, but it says you will get trained and taught hour by hour, day by day, by God Himself. 
So you have this idea of like, man, how can I be a leader? Like what happens? Like I go to the seminar so I can learn how to be a leader because I want to know how to make communication something that is effective in my team. I want to know how to problem solve. I want to know how to relate to church leaders. I want to know how to do this and that. You can write down all the problems that you might face and all the people that you know in this world, and in the end, you're not going to have enough wisdom to solve all the problems that you have. God says, I myself, you don't need any guru, I myself will come to you and literally teach you hour by hour and day by day what to do, when to do it, how to do it, when you need to do it. That's what the promise is. Now, what is the condition to that promise? This is what it is. You would figure, like, man, if someone gives me $100 a day, if someone... No. It says this. If men will endure, and women will endure the discipline without complaining or fainting by the way, God will teach them hour by hour and day by day. The key to success is simply doing the task that God has called you to do without complaining with discipline and without complaining by the, or fainting, by the way, without giving up. Leadership development takes place when someone asks you to do something that seems to have absolutely no value to you and you do it because that's what needs to be done at that time. I was canvassing in... Uh, I don't know where I was canvassing... I was canvassing. And uh, when the leader dropped me off, she said to me, Israel, I want you to do this line of businesses. Any canvassers here? Some people, so you know what I'm talking about. That is the dumbest thing that any leader could say to anyone. Go do those businesses. (laughs) Businesses suck because... um, Number one, they don't have time to talk to you. And, and, and number two, when they reject you, you are not just uh, ridiculed in front of an individual, but you're ridiculed in front of everyone that's shopping at Walmart. I mean, everyone. And as I'm going through this thing, I am furious. I'm just so mad because of what this dumb leader is making me do. And as I'm going from business to business... I catch myself thinking, Israel, there's no way on earth that you're going to ever sell a book. You know why? Because like when you go to the individual, you're already coming defeated. That ruined my day because we continued on. Day, the, the, we continued on. And finally, I was literally, this is the funny part, I was literally, this was literally my line. Ma'am, you're not going to want to buy these books, are you? By the time I was in the homes. And of course, they're going to say no. Finally, a lady saw me. I was depressed, probably about to cry. And she said, son, I'll buy a book from you. you know? And then that made me happy. But <laughs> Complaining and fainting, by the way, in many times is the reason why people do not experience success. Because we complain and we give up too easy is the reason why God cannot bless our efforts. The opposite is true, that if we endure, if we just endure whatever God calls us to do, that we will have success because he will be with us. If his people will remove the obstructions, he will put forth waters of salvation, abundant streams through the human channels. If men in humble life were encouraged to do all the good that they can do, and if restraining hands were not laid upon them to repress their zeal, there would be a hundred workers for Christ where there is one. Isn't that powerful? The last 
promise that I want to share with you is this, and the last point. True education does not ignore the value of scientific knowledge or literary acquirements, but above information, it values power. Above power, it values goodness. Above intellectual acquirements, does anyone know what that word is? Character. This is, this is uh, the most powerful thing. The world does not so much need men of great intellect as of noble character. It needs men in whom ability is controlled by steadfast principle. If there's one thing that you can search for that would make you the leader that you need to be, it is not ability. It is not intellectual acquirement. But it is character. What is character? Character is the ability to control the power that you currently have. That is what character is. Character is the ability to control the knowledge that you right now possess. What is character? Character is determined by the way that I use the current power that I possess. Therefore, you see my character in the way that I exercise that power over my children. You see that character in the way that I exercise that, the power that I have, whatever the power is, over or in relation to the people that work with me, the people that work for me, the people that are in relationships with me. That is how character is determined, by the use of the ability. And so I would say, what is character? Character is the ability to control your ability. And if there is anything that we need today in leaders, is not ability, except the ability to control the ability that we have. Does that make any sense? And so, what I want to say today is simply this. Leadership is not something that we do. Leadership is not something that we attain. Leadership is something that we are. Leadership is the character that you possess. Leadership is who you are when you control the, when, when, when leadership is who you are when you control the power that God has invested in you in whatever sphere of influence you find yourself in. And so my challenge for you is this. Be a leader. Be a leader. Find a burden that God has given to you and use that burden to lead someone to Christ. Don't settle for what is out there. But be a leader by responding to the burden that God has given to you. And be a leader. Don't do leadership stuff. Don't walk away here with, with a thought that I'm a leader because I have a leadership position. But rather, I'm a leader because God has called me to do something that will make the lives of other people better and more effective. We'll have a word of prayer. And after that, we'll open the rest of the time up for question and answer. Our Father in heaven, we think of the greatest leader of all time. Jesus Christ and we think of the greatest act of leadership the surrender of individual life for the life of someone else and we say Lord make us that type of leader this is our prayer in Jesus name Amen This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire and equip 
young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.